All right, so we are in Acts part two. Um, actually, let me get your assignments. How about that? You're not. You get full credit. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, if you, do, if you do the assignment fully, you get full credit. If you miss something, you do not. Wow, well done. Ah, likely story, Josh. <laughs> My dog ate my homework. It's on the printer. Sure, sure. <clears throat> yeah, so just email it if you uh, don't have it with you. You can email it to me. Judah, while you're standing, can you pray for us? Amen. All right, so you guys did an assignment on Acts 13 to 28, right? Second half, Acts part two. So for you guys who did the assignment, what are some things you learned about the book of Acts? Anything that jumps out? Yes, there is. A lot of that. A lot of chapters of Paul's arrest. Yeah. Hey, gals. Yeah, anything else that jump out in Acts 13 to 28? Yeah, that's a good point. That, that first person to third person thing. Yeah, that's where you get all that. Yeah, that's pretty fun. All right, so some recap from last time. Um, so if you're in your notes, you can go to page 23. So we talked about Acts as a bridge. And this is a, a useful and important part of the book of Acts. So if, uh, sorry, oh, f- um, that's, that could be true. You're in luck. Not that we believe in luck, we don't. Yeah. So Axe is a bridge here. Between what and what? Yeah, so in the Gospels, you get the birth of Christ, the ministry of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. You get a lot of Christ, and you get the calling of the disciples. And then in Acts, you get the story, uh, the history of the disciples, or the apostles. So guys like Peter are a big deal. Guys like Paul are a big deal. You get John. You get James. Whoops. Uh, James is a big deal. Other men are a big deal. Other women are a big deal. And that's kind of relevant because when you get to the epistles, you get the letters by these guys. So the letters of Paul are 13 of our epistles. The letters of Peter are two. The letters of John are three. Get with the book of James. Uh, Jude doesn't pop up in Acts. And who's left is the author of Hebrews, who we do not know. We don't know his name. Uh, epistles and then Revelation is kind of its own thing. So Acts, Acts gives you a good, um, it's a good lens uh, through which to see the epistles. And we'll, we'll mark along the way uh, when the epistles of Paul are written. We can't actually tell when the epistles of Peter or John are written because we don't have enough history in those epistles. But Paul actually gives us enough detail in his letters that we can, we can say he wrote that you know, in Acts 20 verse 1 or Acts 20 verse 2 or wherever. So we'll mark that. But yeah, Acts, important bridge. Um, also important bridge because here you get 
you get Christ, and then here you get the church. So, kind of in a technical sense, there's no, there's the people of God in the, the Gospels and in the Old Testament, but there's no formal church in the Gospels. So the church is born in Acts chapter 2, uh, Pentecost. And then the epistles are the letters to the churches, the letters to the church. And that's, um, the fact that Acts 2 happens here <clears throat> is a big deal to us because that means that everything, well, almost everything that happens in the book of Acts happens after the church is born. Um, and that's, that's the day in which we live. We live in the church age. And so almost everything written in Acts is written to people like us, Christians who are living and working and uh, getting married and dying and doing all the things that, that Christians do. Um, and then you have the epistles who are written to the churches after Pentecost is founded. So all these letters are written to us. They're written to specific people, but they're also written to us. And so we look at those and we, we don't feel like, oh, that was, you know, that was 2,000 years ago. It has nothing to do with me at all. That's not what we say, because they're written to the church, and we are in the church. So Acts as a bridge, we talked about that last time. And then some other things about Acts as a, um, an inspiring vision for, for people like us in the church. You get what it looks like when the Holy Spirit comes into your life in a dynamic way, a dramatic way. Big things happen, unexpected things happen. You get what it looks like when... Uh, people like yourselves, men and women, are committed to the church and sacrificially living for the church. Lives are changed. People's lives are changed. Powerful things happen. Um, you get a lot. If you're uh, at some point as you're reading Acts, just think, okay, every time the gospel is preached, I'm going to pay attention to how it's preached. What what does the person say when they're preaching the gospel? Because you might be surprised and, and realize that the way that they present the gospel isn't often how we think of the gospel, actually. So we'll talk about that uh, a couple times today. And then you get, so you get the true gospel, the true, a good vision of Christ, who he is uh, and what he is. And then you get this, um, uh, the expansion of the church, so a vision for mission. Uh, the gospel starts in Jerusalem, but then it expands to the ends of the earth uh, by the end of the book. And then there's stuff in there on how the church is organized. Uh, so we have, Elders and we have deacons in our church, and there are in the Book of Acts elders and deacons. And the reason we have elders and deacons in our church is because we look at Acts and we say, you know what? They had deacons and elders. We should have deacons and elders. Um, not every church has that. Uh, they use different uh, different names for the office, the people that they have in leadership. All right, we said this last time, but if you want to come up with a name for the Book of Acts, you might call it the Acts of. The Acts of, and we gave three options for that. There's the name that we often use, which is the Acts of the Apostles, because we look at the book of Acts and we see, wow, the Apostles are doing a lot of things. And so the Acts of the Apostles is a very fitting name. Another name that has been used is the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because you look at the book of Acts and it's, it's not just the Apostles by themselves, these superheroes in the faith, but it's, it's the Apostles and people in the church doing things through the power of the Holy Spirit. But then there was this other way to think of the book of Acts, which was the Acts of who? Jesus. Yeah, the Acts of Jesus, because we look at verse 1, and it says that in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. 
which means in this second book, I'm going to continue to talk about what Jesus did and taught. And so everything that the apostles do is also the work of the Spirit. Well, not every single thing because they're sinning sometimes. But uh, everything the apostles do is, uh, and they're, when they're being obedient and walking in the power of the Spirit, is an act of the Spirit, but it's also an act of Jesus, who even though he's ascended, is working through the church. All right, so we covered all that last time. And then if you turn to the outline of the book of Acts, it's got that key organizing text thing there. So we said this last time, but a lot of times in uh, ancient historical documents, when someone's going to organize their book, they didn't just slap on a table of contents in the front like we do and break it into chapters and, um, and on and on. But they would put uh, a lot of times they would put in the in the text somewhere in the actual story sort of a uh, like a decoder ring type thing that's you know this is the the contents of what I'm about to say and so for the book of Acts uh, chapter one verse eight is that is that organizing text but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem so the first part of the book happens in Jerusalem. Judea and Samaria. So the next part of the book happens in Judea and Samaria, and then to the end of the earth. So the rest, then uh, once the gospel goes into Judea and Samaria, then it's going to go into the end of the earth. And so, in other words, that's an expanding understanding of the book of Acts. It starts small and it expands outward geographically. Um, certain kinds of people, the Jews, hear the gospel first, and then it expands into the Gentiles and beyond. Um, and then also last time we mentioned these key organizing markers. Uh, so Logan, why don't you read Acts 2.47. This is the first of these organizing markers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got, why don't you, you guys pull out your Bibles? You do need a Bible today. Anyone need a Bible? Anyone prefer a hard copy to whatever they have? All right. Yeah, so pull out your Bibles. Acts 2.47, and it does start mid-sentence, but that's fine. That's, that summary there, the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. So throughout the book of Acts, you get, you get verses like that, and that tells you, oh, I'm at the end of a section now. And, now, and then after that, you go into a new section, which some, something's, something's going to change. So uh, 2.47 is the end of the... So Christ has ascended in chapter 1, and Pentecost has happened in chapter 2. So it's a big, it's a big section. Um, and then you get to 6, verse 7. So Caleb, can you read that? We get to chapter 6, verse 7. So that's the next uh, summary statement. So uh, chapter 3, healing of the paralytic. Chapter 4, Peter and John's arrest uh, before the council. Chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira. Fire comes down. Doesn't, well, fire doesn't come down, but they, they're killed uh, because of their, their sin. And then chapter 6, problem with the widows not being fed, so they, they raise up the deacons. Problem solved. And so then there's this summary statement the word, that the Word of God continued to increase. And then you go into a new section where guys like Stephen and Philip become uh, center stage. So it's not the apostles, but it's guys like Stephen and Philip, so guys who are... Um, these guys are deacons. They're, they're two of the seven chosen to uh, lead the church or lead the, 
uh, feeding of the, of the widows. Um, so Philip in chapter 8, big deal. He does some awesome stuff in Samaria, which we'll get to. Chapter 9, Paul gets saved. And so then we get to 931. Mariana, can you read that? 931. So again, church expanding, multiplying, there's peace. Kind of a funny uh, moment in the in the the account because what happens right before that is Paul comes to Jerusalem and that's a that's a dramatic scene. They're they're freaking out first of all because it's Paul. And the last time they saw Paul, he was he was arresting Christians and putting them in prison. But then he gets saved and so he comes to Jerusalem. They don't believe he's saved. Barnabas says, "Give this guy a chance. He's he's done amazing things for the Lord." And so then he leaves and everyone. So there was peace in Jerusalem. Uh, so that's 9.31. And then we get to 12.24. Judy, you want to read that? 12.24. So the Word of God is advancing. So the church advancing and the Word of God advancing. Those are, those are parallel ideas. And so what's happened before this? We get chapter 10 where Cornelius uh, is filled with the Spirit. Big deal. We'll talk about that in a second. 11, it's such a big deal that... Peter has to go to Jerusalem and explain to the guys what happens, and he tells the entire story all over again in detail. And then in 12, James is killed, Apostle James, uh, not to be confused with James the Lord's brother, who writes the book of James. Um, Peter is rescued, and then the summary statement, and then we get uh, the missionary, the first missionary journey. And so then we get to 12, or sorry, 16, verse 5. Ellie, you want to read that? So the whole first missionary journey has happened. The Jerusalem Council in chapter 15 has happened. And then you get this summary statement. And then one more, well, two more uh, summary statements. We get to 19, verse 20. Prevail mightily. That's a great idea. Uh, so 16.5 was the last one. Um, so Paul has another missionary journey, the second missionary journey. Uh, not a very clever title, but that's what we call it. Second missionary journey. And then uh, he's in churches. He's preaching the gospel. Um, he actually ends the second and starts the third missionary journey. Um, and then you get, to, you get to chapter 19, verse 20. And then the last summary statement, the last of the book. Uh, Genevieve, do you want to read 28? The last two verses of, of the book of Acts, 28, 30, and 31. So we finish with Paul preaching the gospel in Rome, in house arrest, for two years. Uh, if you just heard that he's in house arrest in Rome, you might, th- you might think, oh, that's a bad thing. But, but actually, the, it's a, there's a triumphant word here. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So he might be in house arrest, but he's also preaching without hindrance. So the accent there is on the advance of the gospel, even in Rome. So you see how we've gone from Jerusalem back in chapter 1 to Rome in chapter 28. So we've gone to the end of the earth uh, for all um, intents and purposes. So that's, that's the book of Acts. So there you go. So we could stop right there. All right, so now rewind the tape. Go back to chapter 3. So we're in the second main section in chapter 3. 
We don't, we don't yet know. So the church has been born. The power of the Spirit has been given. They've spoken in tongues, which is amazing, indifferent, unexpected. But when you get to the end of chapter 2, we don't really know what's, what's this new era of the people of God going to look like. Um, you get little hints of it at the end of chapter 2 when it's describing awe, signs and wonders, but we don't yet know what that means. But then when you get to chapter 3, you're, uh, you, we, we begin to realize, oh, the, the church is going to do what Jesus did. So Jesus did signs and wonders, and now the church is actually going to start doing signs and wonders. So uh, just picking it up at verse 1. So now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, which of course is what time? Good job. Yeah, so in the Bible, whenever you get ninth hour, third hour, sixth hour, um, it basically starts at sunrise. So we, we kind of guesstimate 6 a.m. Uh, so the ninth hour is 3 in the afternoon. Um, so the hour of prayer at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth. What does that mean, lame from birth? He can't walk today, that's true, and he's never walked, right? And so what would be true of a guy who had never walked? What would be true about his legs? Incredibly weak, right? No muscle development at all, right? Almost total atrophy. So that's kind of an important detail. So he's lame from birth. He's being carried, and uh, whom they lay daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. So he's he's asking for a handout. Now this this would be a pretty sympathetic person if you were uh, if you became aware of him. And so Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. So instant muscle tone, right? This is uh, the greatest uh, blast of of, uh, of a power workout ever. So immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he, he, again, he had never walked. But, he's, but he leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So, big deal. So, so, um, Jesus had done similar kinds of things and now the apostles are doing the same kinds of things. Uh, so the people rightly are amazed at what had happened. And so Peter, so a crowd comes around, and Peter, uh, first of all, wants to explain that it's not, it's not us. This has nothing to do with us. And that, that conversation happens a lot in the book of Acts. You do something miraculous, you, you raise the dead or you, you heal a paralytic, and people think oh, you must be, you yourself must be this powerful figure. And so all, almost every time the people have to say, it's, it's not in it's not us. And so in verse 12, so men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? So it has nothing to do with them. So they explain the, the source of the miracle. But then meanwhile, you know, back to the, the 
you know, into the, the camp of the bad guys with the Jewish leaders. So as they were speaking uh, to the people, the priests, and this is chapter 4, verse 1, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they arrested them. So the first of many arrests that happened throughout the book of Acts. So you get arrested, you have to, you have to give your defense, you have to um, have a trial of some kind. So they, they stand before the Jewish council. And, you know, remember, uh, you know, almost no time has happened since Pentecost. So how, how much past the crucifixion are we at this point? Yeah, so, so maybe this is, this is June, right? So this is June after the crucifixion, which happened April 3rd. Uh, so it's just a couple months. And so the Jewish council at that time would be the same Jewish council that condemned Jesus and, cru- and sent him to the cross, right? So when, and, and remember, last time, James and John, um, uh, Peter, James, and John had the opportunity to stand before Jewish council. They were like, ah, no thanks. I think we'll just get out of here. Uh, so they fled, right? They, they uh, denied Christ. Peter denied uh, knowing Jesus three times. So all this to say, this is the, these are the same guys. So they have the same power to bring about a crucifixion. Um, and of course, these guys would have thought, oh, I th- we thought we dealt with this before, already. We thought we dealt with this Jewish guy. Why do we have to keep dealing with him? Jesus guy. Uh, why do we have to keep uh, dealing with this? So Peter stands up before that council Again, last time he denied Jesus to a slave girl. He was afraid that the slave girl might tell someone, and so he 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 lied about knowing Jesus. But now he's before the actual actual council, and so we will pick up his words at verse eight, chapter four, verse eight. So then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, Luke doesn't always tell us. Um, you know, when someone's about to minister, he doesn't always tell us that someone's filled with the Spirit, but he often tells us someone's filled with the Spirit. Uh, just a reminder that when, when we speak in the Lord's name and, and significant things happen, it's because we're filled with the Spirit. That's why it happens. It's not because we, uh, in our own wisdom, can make things happen in the lives of others. But Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, of course, that's a rebuke, right? You know, he's rebuking them. All we did was we healed a cripple. It seems like you guys should be happy about that if you really cared about the cripple. But so in a sense, what he's saying is you, you put us on trial because we actually helped a guy. You know, shame on you. If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So 412 is one of the great verses in the book of Acts. Great memory verse. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why, uh, that's why um, we don't want to forget, uh, forget the gospel message because 
There's salvation in no one else. There is no other path for salvation. All right, so then the Jewish council is a little bit nervous. They're not used to seeing guys. Um, well, actually, in verse 13, you, you see the reaction. Wait a minute. This is this. This is a, well, let me just read it. Verse 13, so now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So they're different now. Things had changed. So they, they are uneducated. That's just factually true. They're common men. That's factually true. They're not priests. Uh, they're not in a special category. Um, and yet here they are speaking very coherently, powerfully, theologically, uh, to the priests and the council, and so what they what they thought what they came away with was, whoa, these guys have been with Jesus, and that has made a huge difference in their lives. All right, so that's chapters three and four, and that, in a sense, is a, is, a, is like a big announcement that things have changed. The church is here; lives are going to be changed through the work of the of the apostles. Um. We'll skip five, we'll skip six. But we won't skip six. Um, the reason we'll pause here at six is because Stephen comes on the scene. Um, and then in chapter eight, Philip is going to come on the scene. As I said, these are, this is a, kind of a change from only apostles doing the cool stuff to now deacons doing the cool stuff as well. Um, Philip and Stephen are... So when the seven guys were chosen in the beginning of chapter 6, two of those guys were Philip and Stephen. Uh, So I'll pick up at verse 8, chapter 6, verse 8. So we've just had our summary statement, so we're into a new section. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people, kind of like Peter was doing. So he's doing great wonders and signs. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those uh, from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. Why would they say that, that, that Stephen is speaking blasphemous words against Moses? What might be a reason for them saying that? Yeah, the, uh, some things yes, some things not quite yet. Yeah, the eating meat, not quite yet, but it was all happening. Uh, yeah, what's another reason why someone might say that Christians are speaking against Moses? A uh, Good point, yeah. So just by emphasizing Jesus, you're de-emphasizing Moses. So if you're elevating Jesus and his teaching and his work, you're, you're naturally just de-emphasizing uh, Christ, uh, Moses. Um, and there, there, could have been, there could have been a lot of reasons. Uh, Stephen's uh, sermon in chapter 7 gives some, some reasons as well uh, for that. But the, And if you look at chapter 7, maybe the key thing is that Moses was pointing ahead to somebody greater. The whole Old Testament is pointing ahead to someone greater than there had ever been. Someone greater than Abraham, greater than Moses, greater than David. There's someone greater and he's coming. In fact, he has come and his name is Jesus. And so in that sense, it... it it made all Old Testament religion uh, smaller. So even though it was it was beautiful, and it was it was anticipating something important, in some ways the Old Testament gets smaller when Christ comes because he he is he's the great one. 
Um, so back to verse 11. So, he's, so we've heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came, you know, the same group, um, or pretty close to the same group that would have been involved in the rest of Peter and, and John and also Jesus. Uh, stirred up the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses. Who was the last guy to get put on trial and have false witnesses in our New Testament? Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, in this case, the Sunday school answer is the answer. Jesus is the answer, right? Yeah, false witnesses. And remember that in the gospel accounts, they couldn't make those witnesses agree. Um, so false witnesses uh, who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place, which would be the temple uh, and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So let's get at what Josh indicated. Change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And that isn't meant sarcastically. Uh, there's something about him that kind of radiated holiness uh, and, uh, and purity. And then he stood up and he spoke a, a very powerful sermon, um, which did not have the effect that maybe he, he would have hoped. Uh, so you get to the end of that sermon in verse 54, chapter 7, verse 54. So he's basically giving you a, a summary of the Old Testament. It goes through Abraham and the patriarchs. He goes through Moses, the wandering in the wilderness. Uh, they get to the promised land. David comes around, but David doesn't build the house. Solomon builds the house, but then God says, I don't dwell in houses made with human hands. And then he rebukes them just straight up. You always resist the Holy Spirit. So uh, they don't appreciate that. And so they, so when they heard these things, verse 54, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. That's a very vivid, just uh, kind of idea. Um, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. I mean, probably literally just put their fingers in their ears. La, 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 la. Because they, they thought he was speaking blasphemy. Um, they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down the gar their garments at, at the feet of a young man named Saul, who is Paul. Saul is Paul. Yeah, so the Apostle Paul. So whenever Paul re refers to persecuting Christians, uh, I was zealous to the point of putting Christians to death or whatever. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about the stoning of Stephen. I was there. I, I was happy about it. I was blessed by it. I thought this was the work of God that was killing this blasphemer. I was totally in. You don't, you, don't, you don't want to think of Paul here as being hesitant, like, guys, I'm not sure this is a good idea. Why don't we just not go all the way? No, he was fully, fully excited, energized by this situation. So they laid down their, um, their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he also said, receive my spirit. You're right. I almost didn't even need it. 
answer the question, but yeah. Jesus said, uh, Father, receive my spirit, and then he died. So Stephen said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Again, another Jesus-like prayer. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. In other words, he died. Uh, so very brutal death, the first martyr in the, in, in the world, you know, the first Christian martyr there was. Um, you know, stoning is, a, is just like it sounds. You throw stones at a person until they die. So it's, there's, no, um, there's no pleasantness in any way about it. And the thing with a stoning death is it's not, um, you know, like in a firing squad, it could, one shot is going to kill a guy. Um, with a stoning death, there's going to be a lot of people together throwing stones at, at, at the martyr. So it's a very, it's very dramatic uh, way for Stephen to die. Glorious way for him to die, but also very uh, dramatic and violent. Um, but that's the, first, that's the first Christian martyr. Um, so that's our first deacon. So we've said that the apostles uh, do cool stuff in chapters 3, three and now the deacons are going to do cool stuff here. Um, we, go to, we go to chapter 8. You know, we... You know, if, if, you're just, if, you're, if you're just reading along and you're kind of in the story, you're thinking, I hope I never can meet this guy Saul again, right? Well, in verse 8, there he is again. And this guy Saul uh, approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Remember, remember Acts 1.8, the gospel, you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria. And so now the church is being scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles who are back in Jerusalem. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. All right, we'll get, we'll get to the total transformation of Paul in a little bit, but we're not there yet. So now this is, this is Philip's... Um, significant moment on the scene. So the rest of chapter 8 has to do with Philip. So the first thing he's going to do is preach the gospel in Samaria, and then he's going to preach the gospel to an Ethiopian who had been to Jerusalem for uh, the Passover, or for Pentecost. Um, but first is what happens in Samaria, which is very, which is very exciting. So this is, a, um, this is an account where you kind of get the full... Um, all the steps of the process. In, in a lot of accounts in, in Acts, you don't get every step of the process uh, for conversion and for what happens right after that. But in Samaria, you actually get kind of every step of the process. So the first step is, of course, a guy has to go there to speak to these unbelievers. So the, the church is scattered, and then Philip, as a result of that scattering, went down to the city of Samaria. And you remember... Jesus going to the Samaritans at times, right? The Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. And so he proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. So now Philip is the one doing signs and wonders. So he's speaking and they're paying attention. For unclean, uh, sorry, they saw the signs that he did. Um, Unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice uh, came out of many of them, and many were, who were paralyzed and lame were healed. There was, so there was much joy in that city. 
So the first thing that happens is just the miraculous. The miraculous comes, at, comes there. People are paying attention to that. I mean, people are people, right? If that happened to a group of people you were with, you would stop and t- pay attention to that. Especially if you knew the people that were involved here. And obviously this is a village, not a huge city where you wouldn't have known necessarily the, the crowd. This is a village, a small town. You probably would have known all the people that were being healed here. So there's much joy. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So they heard the gospel, they believed the gospel, and then they were baptized. Right? That's, that order of things is really important. Hearing the gospel, and then believing the gospel, and then you're baptized. So that's why we're not paedo-baptists, because you don't get baptized and then hear the gospel and then believe. But you hear the gospel, and then you're baptized. And, sorry, hear the gospel, and then you believe, and then you're baptized which is why we don't baptize people who aren't old enough to really hear the gospel and then make a response of some kind. Um, both men and women. And so then even Simon himself believed after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he, he too was amazed. But meanwhile, back in Jerusalem, so when the apostles uh, at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they went, they went to them. Sorry, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Um, it doesn't say, uh, doesn't give a, a detail of, the, of what happens next, but we assume that somehow the apostles knew that they received the Spirit, and so there was tongues, prophecy, miracles being done by, uh, by the Samaritans. Um, yeah, so this is, a, this is the first uh, um, giving of the Spirit to Jews not in Jerusalem. So it happened in Acts 2 in Jerusalem, and it actually the giving of the Spirit also happened at the end of chapter 4 to the church that was gathered in Jerusalem. But now it's happening to those in Samaria. Um, and it's, um, yeah, that's all, we're gonna, that's all we'll say about that. So then you get the, the gospel presentation to the Ethiopian eunuch. Great, great scene. But we want to focus here on, on the conversion of Paul because he's such a huge figure in the book of Acts and in, the, and in our New Testaments. So why don't we um, we'll, uh, start with Anna, and we'll just read one verse at a time. So start at verse 1, and we'll get to, we'll stop at verse 19. So this is the, as your Bible says, the conversion of Paul. So yeah, just one verse at a time. And but Saul still oh, breathing. right, there's two Annas, aren't there? Three, yes, and they're all sitting right in my line of sight, and I'm pointing to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Anna uh, Garner, actually. And what is the way? Well, that is true. The gospel is the way. But when it's capitalized like this, any people he, any people found belonging to the way. 
Yeah, it's actually Christianity. Yeah, so it's the church. So at this, at this point, um, Christians are kind of seen as a sect, a uh, uh, small group within Judaism. And so sometimes they're called the way. Sorry, I interrupted Katie, sorry. Excellent. So what jumps out at you in this conversion of Saul? Anything? Yeah. Of course, he'd been blind for three days, so that would have been a happy moment. Maybe he thought he was never going to be able to see again. Mm. Yeah. So it's a, it's a personal, there's a public side to it because they all hear the voice, but it's also personal because the vision is his. What is uh, interesting about verse 4 is the question in verse 4. Saul thought he was doing good for God. Okay, that definitely that's a good aspect. Yeah, he I mean really confidently thought he was doing the right thing. Right. Yeah. So what what do we learn from that? Yeah, and it's but it goes even further. That is true. Um, but um, yeah, it's the idea of union with Christ. That when you when you become a Christian, uh, you are in Christ, and Christ is in you. You aren't Christ, and Christ isn't you. But there's a there's a union that happens, a spiritual union that happens when you become a Christian, and because it's. You know, because I, you know, all of us who are Christians are united in Christ, well, therefore, we are united with each other. So we are together, the body of Christ. He's the head, we're the body. Um, and we're all, we're all in Christ. And so when Jesus says, you are persecuting me, it's really a, uh, it's a way of getting at this idea of union. And so what's, what's kind of fascinating about that is, is Paul more than any other writer in the New Testament, talks about union with Christ. Uh, it's it's kind of there in John's writing, It's a little, and it's to a lesser extent there in Peter's writings, but it's really, 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 really there in Paul's writings. So he uses that phrase, in Christ, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times. You know, what we, you know, um, blessed be the, uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Um, and then that body of Christ language comes up a lot in his in his writing. So that's that's um, you don't want to miss that. All right, so fascinating question. That's verse four. And then Jesus identifies himself, and then it's as if uh, Paul kind of has to think about this. So he 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 is. Uh, has a three-day personal retreat in total blindness while people lead him around. Um, and then this guy, Ananias, not to be confused with Ananias in chapter 5, we know it's a different person because why? Yeah, uh, yeah. the other Ananias is, is now dead. So we know it's a different Ananias. Um, so this guy, Ananias, has heard about Paul. And so when God says, hey, I want you to go visit Paul, He's not thinking, oh, awesome. I don't, I'd like to get to know him. He's thinking, are you kidding? I can't do that. He's the one who kills Christians. 
And then uh, God clarifies, he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, which he does. Um, so Ananias comes, preaches the gospel. Paul gets uh, baptized. Um, actually, in this case, he's filled with the Spirit first. Um, Ananias prays for him. He's given sight. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he's water baptized after that. Uh, so the key is that you hear the gospel and you believe the gospel. But whether you're water baptized and then spirit baptized or spirit baptized and then water baptized, those things can be can happen in a different order. It doesn't matter. But first you're going to hear and then you're going to believe the gospel. Those things have to be first before those other two things. And then, um, you know, in, in the, well, we, we stopped at the first part of verse 19, but actually there's a second part of verse 19. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And Luke, when he says things like that, for some days, that can mean literally three days, ten days, or it could mean ten years. So in this case, it has to, he's, he's there for years in Damascus. So he's preaching, he's powerfully uh, ministering the gospel, and he becomes just a force, uh, well, just a force uh, for the rest of the book of Acts. Um, so that gets us to chapter 10. Let me check our time here. Um, Chapter 10 is a big deal because you have this guy, Cornelius, a Roman centurion. Um, so he's in charge of a lot of soldiers. Um, a cohort, I forget how many soldiers a cohort. Is it 1,000? 600, I think it's 600. Um, but it's, it's, it's a lot. So he's, a, he's got significant responsibility. But he's, he's a devout man who fears God. Probably um, he's a Gentile who lives... Uh, according to Jewish law and Jewish tradition. So not, not Christian, but Jewish law, Jewish tradition. He has a vision at the ninth hour, which we know is 3 p.m. We've already figured that out. Uh, so he has a vision, sees an angel, says, go get this guy, Peter. Peter, meanwhile, is having his own vision. So this tent falls from the sky. Uh, this is uh, chapter 10, verses 9 and following. So Peter's vision. And so Peter, there's a, uh, a sheet, not a tent. So a big sheet falls down from the sky, filled with all these animals. Uh, I don't know what that would have looked like, but, but God says, eat, feast, feast on all these animals. And some of these animals are clean animals, according to Jewish law, and some of these animals are unclean animals, according to Jewish law. And so Peter says, I, I can't do that. I've never, I've never done this in my whole life. I, by, you know, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. So Peter is a faithful Jew. A faithful Jew would not eat anything unclean. So pig. He would not eat a pig in any form. Um, but then this voice came to him, uh, which said, uh, well, rise, Peter, kill and eat. That's the first voice. But then the second time it happens... In verse 15, what God has made clean, do not call common. So the vision is, is God speaking, God saying th things are different now. So before, you know, before, before the work of Christ on the cross, you could not eat these things, and now you can't. So the, the barrier between clean and unclean, um, so another huge change. So now... We'll say Old Testament. So Old Testament, you had this category of clean and unclean. Uh, clean was good, unclean is bad. Um, 
So we've already heard about food. That's, a, that's definitely part of the clean, unclean. Do you guys know any other things that fell into the clean, unclean type distinctions? Yes, skin diseases, those favorite chapters you get to in reading Leviticus, where you read about red spots and flaky skin and things like that. Um, but, yeah, groups of people, right? So primarily Jews and non-Jews. Huge one. Yep. Anything else? Yeah, Mariel? Uh, absolutely, yep. So contact with blood, dead bodies, uh, any, any liquid that comes forth from your body uh, that shouldn't, that's, that would make you unclean. So yeah, lots of this kinds of stuff in the Old Testament. Um, mildew, if you have mildew in a, in a house, that would make the house unclean. So lots of laws about mildew. Um, so clean, unclean is a big deal. It, now it's not it's not the same as uh, sinful, uh, obedient, and sinful. And so, um, I mean, it would be sinful to eat an unclean animal, but an unclean animal in itself is not a sinful thing. Um, or maybe a better example is the skin disease. If you had a skin disease that made you unclean, that didn't mean you were a uh, you were wicked, it just meant that you couldn't go into the temple for worship or the tabernacle for worship, which is a big deal because that's where all the important stuff happens uh, for worship. So if you can't do that, that is a big deal, but it's, uh, but it's different than uh, you being a, a wicked sinner who's doing something wrong. Um, but again, food is a little bit different because when you eat something unclean, you're, you are doing something wrong. Um, so you're, you're sinning and, and you're unclean. Well, in the Old Testament, these are huge things. Uh, um, in, the, in the ministry of Jesus, there's lots of discussions about clean and unclean. Um, but then the cross happens, and it basically it cleans everything. It's, it's, the, it's the powerful wash cycle that cleans everything. And so all these, um, all these categories of clean and unclean disappear. They're gone. Now, the category of sin, well, that doesn't disappear. I mean, so you're unclean if you sin, you know, in a sense. You're morally unclean, morally impure. That doesn't disappear in the, in the New Testament. Um, so it says you shall not murder in the Old Testament. You shall not murder in the New Testament. That does not change. Um, but these kinds of cleanliness things, so like the, the Good Samaritan who's walking along and sees the guy probably bloody, maybe dead on the side of the road, well, as a Christian, you can freely bring aid to the guy and not worry at all about being ceremonially unclean. In the Old Testament, that wasn't true, which is why the Levite passes him and uh, the priest passes him. But Jesus does away with that. So we are cleansed by the blood of Christ. Um, uh, so when... Yeah, probably... So the way to say it is we are clean in Christ. Uh, we are... He's cleansed us of all of our sins. Uh, and so that's what's happening here. God says to, uh, um, first he says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And then what God has made clean, do not call common. 
So God has made all foods clean. And he did that through the work of Christ. Jesus actually pointed to that fact in his ministry, but the, the disciples didn't get it. So back in Mark 7, uh, there's a situation where Jesus is being rebuked by Pharisees. And he responds uh, that it's not what goes into your mouth that makes you unclean, uh, but it's what comes out of your heart that makes you unclean. And then in parentheses, Mark says, and so in saying that, he made all foods clean. Um, but Peter was there when Jesus said that, and Peter didn't get it. So after three visions, Peter got it. And so when Cornelius came, he went with the guys. Um, and in verse 28, so verse 28, Peter is with Cornelius and his soldier friends and other family members. Um, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. So someone, I uh, can't remember who mentioned the, the, the nations. There are some unclean nations, peoples, so Jew and non-Jew. And so Peter is saying the non-Jews, uh, it was unlawful. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked ask then why you sent for me. And so he preaches Christ. So basically, Cornelius says, you know, an angel said to get you to uh, call for you and for you uh, to come and share with us. So what do you have to say? And so Peter preached Christ. And, when he, and as he's preaching Christ in verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fall, fell on all who heard the word and that the believer's among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, even on the non-Jews, even on people who were not Jewish by, uh, by race. So the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And in the and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Great scene. Um, but historically, also just a big deal because, and we know that because, so you get all of chapter 10, which is telling the story the first time. And then when you get to 11, Peter has to go to Jerusalem. And the guys are basically like, hey, Peter, we heard about something that happened in Caesarea uh, with this Cornelius Gentile guy. What's up with that? And so he then tells the whole story. Um, and then you get to verse 18, chapter 11, verse 18, after he tells the whole story. And when they heard, had heard these things, so now Peter's described the whole giving of the Spirit, the preaching of, of Christ, the vision he had. So when they had heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. You know, of all the amazing things they could have pointed out, right? The visions, he had three visions, the giving of the Spirit, they spoke in tongues, they prophesied. Of all the things they could have been amazed at, what they're really amazed at is that repentance and forgiveness would come to Gentiles. So that just tells you where the church was. It took a long time to make the, make the adjustments from uh, God's people being only the Jews to, to God's people being anyone who believes in Christ. So that, that took time. Um, all right, so fast forward to chapter 8, sorry, 13. 13 verses 1 through 3. 
Mariel, can you read that? Chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Great scene. What stands out? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, tetrarch means you're, you're in charge of one-fourth of something. Um, and so this is a friend of that Herod. And there's a lot of Herods in the Bible. It's kind of confusing. But this is, this is not the Herod that died in chapter 12 because that guy is dead. This is, all not Herod, this is also not Herod the Great who was there when Jesus was born because he died, as we know, in, was it 4 BC? Uh, so this is another Herod, still in the line of Herod, but a different Herod. But yeah, it's a big deal. So, and Luke is, um, he's kind of careful to point out when people from various uh, nations and various levels of society get saved. You know, so if it's a member of Caesar's household that gets saved, Luke will often point that out. So in this case, this is a guy who is, a, who is a, probably a government official or at least a close friend of a government official. Anything else stand out? The Holy Spirit speaks. That would have been a great prayer meeting to be a part of. Yeah. We don't know how the Holy Spirit said that, but yeah, the Holy Spirit speaks. And this, this is the beginning of Paul's missionary journeys. Uh, so his first missionary journey is going to be with Barnabas. So Paul and Barnabas uh, travel together in chapters 13 and 14. Um, there's a conflict between Barnabas and, and Paul at the end of 15. And so when Paul goes on his second missionary journey, he's with, he, doesn't, he doesn't have Barnabas with him. Uh, he goes with Silas instead. Uh, but yeah, Barnabas and Saul are both called to an apostolic kind of ministry, which means they're traveling they're preaching Christ. They're they're develop, They're starting and developing churches, and they actually appoint elders in those churches. Um, good little picture of what a worship service looked like at that time. So you have uh, worshiping, fasting, and then obviously there's praying, um, and you have prophets present. Um, and then you have clearly spiritual gifts, right? Because Paul and Barnabas are sent off. All right, so then he, he does his travels, and we're going to fast forward to the end of the journey. Um, and he makes his way, so he, he's in, I should have said this, he's in Antioch at this time. So he's, he's the, the, kind of the, the base of uh, the book of Acts shifts. So no longer is Jerusalem kind of the center of, of all the action. Antioch actually will become the center of all the action because Paul's going to, he's always going to start his missionary journeys in Antioch. He's going to make a big circuitous route and then he's going to, and then he's going to come back to Antioch. So in verse uh, 20, chapter 14, 26, they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the, with the disciples. And no little time means probably at least months, maybe years. It was no little time, as Paul, as uh, Luke is telling us. Um, and then just a little note here, this is where Paul writes the book of Galatians. So during that little break there, Peter is going to come visit Antioch. Peter's going to do some things that were wrong. Paul's going to rebuke Peter. Um, but the issue had to do with... Uh, what a Gentile had to do to be, become a Christian. Did a Gentile have to become circumcised to become a Christian? Um, and so Paul uh, is going to write the book of Galatians. 
And the reason um, reasons it's, it's, you know, it's Galatians that got written is because those, uh, the Galatian region is where he had just come from. So he does his first missionary journey in the Galatian region. He goes back to Antioch. He hears things are getting confused and muddled back in, in the Galatian region. So he writes the book of Galatians back there. So uh, Galatians is probably not the first epistle. The first epistle, uh, which also would have been written right about this time, would be the book of James. So James is first, and then, uh, and then the book of Galatians follows that. Uh, then Jerusalem Council in chapter 15. So we'll finish with the Philippian jailer because it's a great little gospel moment. So fast forward to chapter 16. So now Paul, has, he's in his second missionary journey. He goes to Philippi, which I think is probably Luke's hometown, but we're just speculating. But he um, goes to Philippi. Uh, Lydia is first is the first one saved. Paul, Paul finds a group of women who are praying by the river, preaches, preaches the gospel. Lydia gets saved. Um, and then he gets arrested because uh, he, he casts a demon out of a slave girl, and that slave girl can no longer bring money to her master. So they, the, the master is not appreciative, puts Paul in jail. And then about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Why? Yeah, because the uh, if you're a prison guard, the punishment for the the guard uh, losing his, the prisoners was that the guard would be killed. That, that would motivate you to stay awake, right? And keep careful watch. So he draws his sword out. He's about to kill himself. Um, supposing that the prisoners had escaped naturally because the chains are broken and the doors are open. So naturally he would assume that all the prisoners just left. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Great question. And the answer is also really great because it's so simple and you know, doable in a sense. Uh, it's not a long list of commandments with intricate ceremonies and you know, 47 rites of passage that you have to fulfill. All they said was, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, sorry, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. I mean, you and your household have to hear and believe, but believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. So his, um, then he brought them out, out uh, up into his house and set food before them. And he, and he rejoiced with them. Uh, with his entire household, that he had believed in God. So it's a great, um, it's a great reminder that that getting saved is is massively complicated and cosmic in some ways because it requires the you know the the very being of God to be involved with it, and it's simple. You believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. If you believe, you will do all kinds of good works and practices, but the way to be saved is to believe in the Lord Jesus. So, Father, we thank you for the book of Acts, and we pray that you would help us to live in faith because of it. Uh, it inspires us to do great things for you, Lord, in the power of the spirits and with the simplicity and power and beauty of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thanks, guys. We'll see you, I guess, two weeks, right?